Hey, I'm Shayna, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Criminal Beauty. This week, we will be covering the case of a girl who disappeared and was later found murdered after sneaking out of her parents' apartment to meet up with her friends. This is the case of Skylar Niece. was a lively child. Most people described her as bubbly. She was the only child of David and Mary Niece, and some would say she was spoiled rotten. She was born on February 10, 1996. Skylar and her parents lived in Star City, West Virginia. She had a lot going for her. She wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer, and she was exceeding expectations academically. She was working at a Wendy's and liked to hang out with her best friends, Sheila Eddy and Rachel Shove. Skylar had known Sheila since elementary, and then Rachel came in during freshman year of high school. Though Skylar and Sheila had been best friends for a long time, Rachel's arrival, according to an article by Sophia Mandela on Visica.com, had driven a wedge between the two. Tension was growing between all of them. Skylar started feeling left out. There were times when Sheila and Rachel would dress in matching outfits, according to SkylarNeeseMurder.com, leaving Skylar the odd one out. Where Sheila and Rachel were sexually active and had boyfriends, Skylar was once again the odd one out. Everything seemed to be going okay up until their sophomore year when Skylar had been made to feel really uncomfortable at a sleepover. She had been witness to Sheila and Rachel having drunken sex together and the sleepover ended with an argument between Sheila and Skylar. As time went on, the tension began to grow more, so much so some of the arguments took place over Twitter. On the night of July 5th, 2012, Skylar returned home from her shift at work. She wanted to go out with her friends, so she had set up a bench outside her bedroom window to make it easier to climb out. According to an episode of See No Evil, Skylar had told her mom that she was going to bed. Sheila and Rachel were waiting to close by in a car when Skylar climbed out of the window. The following day, David came home on break to get Skylar so she could take him back to work and borrow the car. He said he knocked on her bedroom door and she wasn't answering the door. The door was locked, so he grabbed a coat hanger and popped it, the lock on the door. When he opened the door, he noticed that her bed was still made up. Worry was beginning to set in, so he called Mary and asked if she knew where Skylar was, to which Mary had said she didn't and had David call around to friends' houses to see if maybe she was over at their house. She wasn't. So he walked outside to smoke a cigarette, and in the episode of See No Evil, he said that he looked down over the porch and noticed this little black bench under the window. That's when he noticed the window was open and the screen had been popped off. He knew the bench belonged to Skylar. That told him that Skylar had snuck out the night before. At this point, they don't let panic sink in. Skylar had to work that day, and she never missed a shift. Her parents knew she had to be at work at 4 p.m. that day, so they were going to wait and call up there when her shift started. But then something happened that the Neese family was dreading. According to David Neese on the episode of See No Evil, just 10 minutes before they were going to call up there to her job, her co-worker called and asked if Skylar would be coming in that day. Fear sank in. 
David then calls 911 and reports their daughter missing. Star City police don't hesitate. Most of the time when teens sneak out, I know from experience, they want to go somewhere or do something that their parents already said no to or it's something they know their parents would never allow. But they always intend on coming back and entering back through whatever way they left. It's a basic science, really. So with police assisting, they begin canvassing the town, going to neighbors to see if anyone had seen Skylar. No one had seen her. It was baffling to them because for such a small town, you would think that someone would have seen her walking around. They go back to the house and police are inspecting Skylar's room with both David and Mary assisting. The first thing they noticed was Skylar's phone charger. If you were out and about as a teen and plan on being out for a while, that is something that you are going to want. They also noticed that nothing else was missing. No clothes, makeup, toothbrush, or toothpaste was taken. Everything Skylar owned was still there. Then, Denise received a phone call. It's Sheila, Skylar's best friend. David answers, but then hands the phone to Mary. Sheila told Mary that she had to tell the truth. Sheila told Mary that they all snuck out the night before, herself, Rachel, and Skylar, and Mary wanted to know where they had left Skylar. Sheila explained that Skylar had insisted that Sheila drop her off at the end of the block so that she could avoid her parents seeing her come back home. Sheila said that she had dropped her off around 11.30 p.m. At that point, Mary, without a doubt, realized that something terrible had happened to her daughter. That's when Sheila went over to their house and was anxious to help in any way she could. David asked Sheila if she is sure she didn't know where Skylar is, and she insists that she didn't. The officer added that if she was hiding something, she would be in big trouble. Around that time, Mary remembered that they had security cameras and pointed it out to the officer that was with them and told David that they needed to ask the landlord if they could look at the security footage. They were able to get the footage, and with any luck, these security cameras may have the last known whereabouts of their missing daughter. With the tapes being in normal runtime, it was a lengthy process watching for clues, and just as things started to look grim, there was a car. A car pulling up into camera shot. It pulls up and parks behind the apartment building. They asked Sheila if that was her and if that's where they picked Skylar up. Sheila says that they didn't pick her up there that they had picked Skylar up closer to David and Mary's apartment and that it was around 11 p.m. But then something happened. About 45 minutes later on the tapes, a car pulls up to the apartment building at 12.30 and then out of nowhere, Skylar can be seen walking across the parking lot and getting in the vehicle. She has a bag or a purse with her and as soon as she is in the vehicle, it drives off. According to See No Evil, as they study the footage, their first clue isn't the vehicle. It's Skylar's behavior. You see, she isn't just walking to the vehicle. She's almost running. So this tells investigators that she knew the person per sons in the car. So this wasn't an abduction. There is a possibility that she ran away with someone she knows. At this point, police are at a standstill. The images on the footage are blurry, making it hard to make out any details of the car, such as license plates, make, and model. All they knew was that it was a light-colored four-door sedan. Days go by. David and Mary are frantic. They want Skylar found, and due to little clues, police don't know where to turn. This only made it harder for Skylar's parents. As they continue to call around the community and look for answers on where their daughter could be, 
David created a page for Skylar in hopes that they could receive some support, get the local media involved, and hopefully get her photo out in the paper. David and Mary were desperate to find answers. They had flyers printed, and everyone was helping distribute them around town. Sheila stayed close to Skylar's parents, offering them support and basically being the emotional rock that they needed. According to Skylar's dad, Sheila was there just about every day, letting them know that it was going to be all right and that Skylar would come back. While with Rachel away at church camp, Sheila didn't have anyone and began to break down. According to David Neese, Sheila had shown up at the house one day and asked if she could go up and sit in Skylar's room for a minute. Sheila had been up there a while and Mary decided to go check on her and ask her if she was okay. She broke down telling Mary that she didn't understand and asked why Skylar would just leave her like that. She was really upset, according to Mary. As their persistent media frenzy grew, so did the attention on Skylar's case. Facebook was blowing up and local media had reported that Skylar was missing. Word was spreading like wildfire and eventually the case went national. Then, four days after Skylar's disappearance, Star City Police contacted David Neese and said that they had someone from North Carolina call in and report that they had seen Skylar and that she was with a redheaded girl. And she was positive it was Skylar. This felt like a good lead. If Skylar had been with, with a redhead girl, then she could be Rachel. David and Mary were sure that it was her, so they packed up some necessities and they were about to head to North Carolina. But before they were able to leave, Detective Colbank gets a call from dispatch. The girl that was seen in North Carolina was not Skylar. Devastated by the news that their daughter was still missing, emotions ran high. If that wasn't Skylar, that meant that Skylar was still missing. <clears throat> Two months into Skylar's disappearance, small town gossip, rumors, and speculation are happening. Police chase every story that they are told, and eventually Skylar's reputation begins to take a hit. The rumors and speculation led them to believe that Skylar had a secret boyfriend. Their thought was that if they could locate the so-called secret boyfriend, that somehow they would be able to find Skylar, but detectives need a name. They call on Skylar's classmates, and they help them draw up a list of her close male friends. Two names stick out to them, Dylan and Derek Conaway. Dylan is a 20-year-old who lives in Blacksville along with his brother. Apparently, Skylar, Sheila, and Rachel liked to party with them. The boys were known to throw parties and have underage girls there. Their past was sketchy, to say the least. Detective Colbank gets state police involved to try and figure out information about these boys. And much to Colbank's surprise, they tell her that the boys were people of interest in a case that the state police had been working on. Around the time that Skylar went missing, a bank in Blacksville, West Virginia was robbed and it was caught on surveillance video. The state police drove the, to the boys' house to do what Corporal Ronnie Gaskin called a knock and talk. When Gaskin and Barry arrived at the Conaway residence, they see that one of the brothers was in the backyard digging holes. Jokingly, Barry said, what are you doing, trying to bury a body? And in response, a look from him was like he had seen a ghost. But aside from that, they had nothing on them. But now there was a link to Skylar's case. State police had found out through social media that the Conways were into some hard drugs and that they liked to give it to girls to loosen them up and that Sheila and Dylan had once dated, having photos to prove it. 
So now they take a step back from the bank robbery because now they feel like they need to find Skylar because maybe the Conaway boys had something to do with it. Police start getting anonymous tips saying that there was a party in Blacksville the night that Skylar went missing, speculating that maybe Conaway boys were who picked Skylar up in the surveillance footage and took her to this party, but no one was talking. Skylar's friend Rachel had just returned home from church camp, so detectives pay her a visit to see if she had any insight into it. According to Detective Colbanks, Rachel was nervous and she felt like Rachel knew something, but that she was too afraid to tell them. Rachel denies everything from driving to Blacksville or going to a party with Skylar the night she disappeared. Police thought it was bull that not a single person could identify the car that Skylar was seen getting into, so they decided to trace the route from Star City to Blacksville, because if she had gone to Blacksville, they know what route she most likely would have been on. They noticed that one of the stores had been renovated, and they were curious if the upgrade had come with surveillance. So they swing in and talk to the store manager. They're hoping that they can get some sort of lead, hoping they have the surveillance to see at least which way the car was traveling. Luckily, they had surveillance and the manager had direct ready access to the tapes. And there it was. At 12.30, the four-door sedan passed the store going towards the apartment. And then, nine minutes later, at 12.39, the car passed again going the opposite direction towards Blacksville. They know that that car is silver in color and it matches perfectly with the car seen in the surveillance from the apartment. They also match up the times from when Skylar snuck out to when the car passes the store and those match up perfectly. This just backs up what detectives already thought that Skylar had snuck out to go to a party. Although they were able to see the vehicle much more clearly in the video from the store they still couldn't get a license plate number. They had to go match up all these cars. So Gaskin and Barry go out in an unmarked car and try to find any car that may match what is in the video. They snap photos of each one and the license plates, take them back to headquarters and run them. Sheila and Rachel get pressed by Detective Colbanks. She needs to get details of these the nights that Skylar went missing. So she took them out in the, in her cruiser at separate times and asked them that they retrace their steps that night. She just wanted them to tell her anything and everything they remembered. Both girls deny ever going to a party that night. So starting with Sheila, they drove to the side streets and Sheila led Colbanks through where they had gone that night. After Detective Colbanks makes sure that Sheila is sure of where they had gone, it was Skylar's other best friend's turn. Rachel and Colbanks were sure that Rachel's story would match Sheila's. When they interviewed Rachel, her story was completely different. Rachel told Detective Colbanks that they had gone to the opposite direction, so now Detective Colbanks knows that there is something not adding up. Something is off, and she wants to know what. And she reminds Rachel that her story has witnesses that she might not have considered. Her response was that she was high so that it might not be true. They had smoked marijuana that night. So now they had to verify what Sheila had told them. She had been the biggest help thus far and they were taking her at her word. 
They go back to the video from the apartment the night that Skylar disappeared to verify that Sheila had showed up at the time that she said she had. They watch it from the very first frame to the very last frame. Four whole hours of video, but Sheila's car never showed on camera. Someone was lying about the night, or at least about time frames. Skylar only left the apartment once that night, and it was at 12.30, and she never returned. Sheila also owned a car that couldn't be ruled out. She had a silver Toyota Camry, and they were almost confident it was Sheila's car they were seeing on that video. But there were so many similar cars in that area that they couldn't say for sure. And Sheila's sticking to her story about the car in the video not belonging to her. Because Sheila and Rachel are Skylar's best friends, only hard evidence will make them suspects. Police start digging. They obtain phone records of Sheila and Rachel and start sifting through them. They found that both girls' phones were extremely active after 4 a.m. on July 6th of 2012 in Blacksville. Rachel had denied ever going to Blacksville, so now they have some explaining to do. Eventually, Sheila admits that it was her car in the surveillance video at the apartment and in the surveillance video of the store. Now it's time to get some answers about where they actually went and where Skylar was last. Police bring the girls in and they are both questioned separately. First, Rachel. She says that they drove out to Blacksville. They smoked marijuana. She said that Skylar wanted to go to a friend's house to get more, but that she and Sheila didn't. So they dropped her off and waited for someone to let her in and they left. When Sheila was questioned, the first half matched what Rachel had said, but when it came to where Skylar had gone, she said that Skylar had got mad at them because they wouldn't take her to buy more marijuana, and she stormed off and they couldn't find her. When Sheila found out the next day that Rachel had said they had took Skylar to a friend's house, her story changed to match Rachel's. That's when things started to get heated. Word was getting around their school that they were hiding something they knew about Skylar. Their behavior at school was catching attention, and eventually Rachel snapped. She was being mean towards family and friends. Her mom grew concerned about her behavior, and Rachel was admitted into a psychiatric hospital. After six days, Rachel is discharged and voluntarily goes to police. They expect her to tell them that Skylar had overdosed and they panicked or something, but much to their surprise, it was far worse than they ever had imagined. According to... To Corporal Gaskin, the first words out of Rachel's mouth were, we stabbed her. What had happened was on July 5th of 2012, Sheila had picked up Rachel, drove to Rachel's dad's house, got a shovel, and put it in the trunk. They both brought a change of clothes and some cleaning supplies. Sheila brings the knives. Rachel then calls Skylar at 12.15 to let her know that they are on their way to pick her up. They get Skylar, drive to Greene County, Pennsylvania in a secluded area. They all get out of the car and walked off into the wooded area. At some point, Skylar starts walking back to the car to get something and Rachel tells Sheila, on three, and they stab Skylar. According to Skylar's dad, she had looked up at them at one point asking them why they were doing it and she even somehow managed to get the knife from Rachel and stabbed Rachel in the leg. At that point, Rachel stopped, but Sheila kept going. Sheila had said that after five stabs, 50 stabs, my bad, 50 stabs, she had stopped counting. 
Once they had killed her, they tried to bury her but realized that the ground was too hard, so they drug her about 44 feet from the roadside and covered her in leaves, branches, and dirt. Once they were done, they both cleaned up, changed their clothes, and they left. When Rachel was asked why they had killed Skylar, she answered, We didn't like her. Rachel led police to Skylar's body on January 16th of 2013 along a rural road in Wayne Township in Greene County. Sheila was sentenced to life in prison for first-degree murder. She had originally pleaded not guilty, but later changed her plea to guilty. Due to the agreement with the prosecutor, the charges of kidnapping and two counts of conspiracy were dropped. Sheila refused to address the court and apologize for her actions. Sheila was put into a juvenile facility until she was 18 and then moved to Lakin Correctional Facility, where she will remain until her parole hearing in 2028, unless things change. Before her trial, Sheila had the nerve to sit there and post on Twitter after they announced that they had found Skylar's body and had confirmed it was her, stating, quote, rest easy, Skylar. You will always be my best friend. <sighs> Makes me want to barf. The tweets that were posted by Sheila were sick, and that is the understatement of the year. One said, quote, we really went on three, end quote. Another read, quote, they say you remember the past better than it really happened, end quote. And the most revolting one, in my opinion, quote, no one on this earth can handle me and Rachel. If you think you can, you're wrong, end quote. Arrogance. It will get you caught. Rachel pled guilty to second-degree murder, and while the prosecution wanted a 40-year sentence, the judge only handed down 30, and she would be eligible for parole in 10 years. I found a part of her statement on wvmetronews.com. She stated, quote, I'm sorry. No words can describe the remorse I feel. That was not the real me. I became scared and caught up in something I did not want to do. End quote. She too is currently in Lakin Correctional Facility and will be up for parole in 2023. David Neese, also found on WVMetroNews.com, stated after Rachel's apology, quote, she can take her apologies and sit on them. She has made my life a living hell. The only reason she cooperated was because she was caught, end quote. And if I'm being honest, I couldn't have said it better myself. Until next time, stay safe, friends. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit that subscribe or follow button and tune in every Monday for a new episode. Episode suggestions can be sent to criminalbeautypod at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook at criminalbeauty20 and on Instagram at criminalbeautypod.